I'm Shannon. And I'm Rami. And this is Workplace Hugs. This is a podcast where Rami and I talk about things that interest us, that we've read or heard, and how it relates to the workplace experience. Our goal here is really simple, and it's just to help all of us expand our workplace toolkit quickly without needing a whole new degree to do it. We do that purposefully by talking about the any given topic in a few different scenarios. First, we'll explain it at a very high level. Then we'll talk a little bit more into the details about how we've experienced it at the lowest level in our work lives of past or present. And then we'll share some ways that you can take this back into your own workplace experience. How elegantly put, Shannon, well done. We'll give our backgrounds quick and then we'll hop right into it. I know This is a topic that kind of Shannon brought forward, so I'm excited to kind of hear what she has to say about it and and see where we land on it. But um, let's give our backgrounds first. Shannon, I'll let you go. Yeah. So I'm Shannon Schottler. I'm an executive coach based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I spent the first 10 years of my career working for four different Fortune 500s (laughs) in manufacturing, retail, consumer packaged goods, and in a variety of roles. You name it, I probably did it. A few years ago, though, I set the corporate life aside, favoring the flexibility found in entrepreneurship, and I am happily coaching, consulting, contracting, and podcasting all the live long day. Rami, what about you? I'm Rami. I'm based in Los Angeles. I've been kind of on the same but very divergent course as Shannon. I started out in a very large company. Um... I got my MBA, I shifted on to a more medium-sized tech CPG company, and then now work in a very small tech startup on the uh, operations sales side of things. Uh, And I also podcast. This is said podcast. (laughs) So Shannon, tell us us about this TED Talk that you listened to. Yes. So this is a TED Talk that I've listened to numerous times. The first time was long, long ago. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie worth talking about again. It is the TED Talk by Simon Sinek called How Great Leaders Inspire Action. Rami, have you heard said TED Talk? Yes. And I will say that the quality of the lighting is the worst I've ever seen. It's terrible. You can or tell you can that just, they like, film like, this like in a basement somewhere. He's like writing on a um, one of those big post-it pads. Yes. And half the time you can't see what's on it. Yes. <laughs> it's just fantastic. Like this is TED pre-TED. Yes, yes, yes. So even though the production quality is poor, I will say that I'm still amazed at how many people haven't heard of it. And why it shows up repeatedly in my life is that whenever I've had an employee or a mentee who's saying, hey, I'm really trying to work on communicating more effectively, this is the first thing that I'll have them go and watch or listen to or I'll offer to them. Because I think he offers a really helpful framework for inspiring action. And the framework, he calls it the golden circle. And he encourages all of us to first start with why. Does, why? He, does he have a book titled with that same he phrase? He does, Rami. Okay, you sorry. should mention that. <laughs> he also wrote a book called Start With Why. So again, he, at the golden circle, at the heart of the golden circle is why. Explaining to your audience why they should care, why they should do something. Then moving out to how. How is something going to happen? How are you going to bring it to life? And then lastly what? What do you want them to do about it? Most people have the tendency to communicate the other way around. They go from what to then how to then why, if they even get to why at all. I think I always did this inadvertently. The thing that I was always taught was whoever you're presenting to doesn't know that they have a problem. 
So you need to first articulate the problem, which is the why. Mm. And then now they didn't know they had a problem and you need to get them like fired up that the problem is a big issue. Mm. So that's the why. And then you walk them through the solution, which is the how. And then, sorry, what's the what? What is like, what are you, I, I think about it as like, what are you going to do about it? Or what do you want me to do about it? So then my solution was always like you, they didn't have a problem. Now they have a problem. Didn't know they had a problem, but now there's a solution to the problem. And then the last part is like, how, how is your solution the right solution? And how quickly can we enact your solution? Mm. So the example that Simon gives that Rami is a, a huge fan of. Oh, is, are you going to, is it an example of Apple? Yeah, because it is it, all example. of his examples are of Apple. Yes. The example that he leads with, though he does talk about others, is Apple. So he explains that the reason why Apple is so successful in their marketing efforts and whatnot and as a company isn't because they start with like what, as in what, buy our computers because we make great computers or great computing devices. No, they start with why. And Rami probably knows the why better than I do. You stated it earlier. What's what's like Apple's mission? You've said it before. Build products that we want to use. Yeah. So they, they're connecting to like beliefs there a little bit at the why level. How they do that is, again, like through building great products. I guess that's a little bit their mission. Anyways, we'll go with it. And then what they're asking people to do is like, so buy our products. We hope you we hope you believe in them too, kind of. I think that's easy. And I, I think at some point you and I will talk about the book about Patagonia by Yvonne Chouinard, which I think is also fascinating, but also not a template for use in almost any other place because... It's really hard to distill yourself or your organization down to such core beliefs in the way that he makes sound very simple. Like the Apple way of functioning is very difficult. And even now, if you look at Apple at who they are now versus, I don't know, I'm assuming this is from 20 years ago, 15 years ago, they're a very different company. Mm. Like they were Apple because of Steve Jobs. They're not Apple because of who they are now. And without Steve Jobs, they keep releasing products that nobody really cares about because mm. they're not innovative products. They're not launching huge things that are momentously shifting industry. They're just kind of tacking on to yeah, what right. they already had. Interesting opinions. So let's bring it down to the tactical level a little bit here. And rather than focus on the why, how, what. We think you get that framework. Like you're really smart people that listen to this podcast. We're sure of it. I would rather focus on if we agree or disagree with the core message of, is this how great leaders inspire action? Well, so Shan, tell me about a great leader that you've had that like really inspired you. What did they do? If I think about the traits of great leaders that have inspired action in me, the first three words that came to mind is transparency. Transparency is just a huge one that I think is undervalued in certain leadership mentalities. The second is humility. A leader who inspires me to want to act like has this element of humility when they're asking you to do something. Uh, and then the last one, which maybe is wrapped up in that is relatability. Like someone that I actually can look up to and be like, oh yeah, I like, a pr I can relate to you on a level outside of that we work for the same company or the thing that you're asking me to do. Like you're just a, you're a human being. Uh, and the leader that, well, we can't, we probably shouldn't say names. I won't name names. The person that I was talking about was has the initials of KB, Rami. Do you remember who I'm talking about? Yes. That's so fascinating. I think the idea of someone who is relatable is super interesting because there's almost nothing relatable about like a leader of a huge organization to mm -hmm. like a peon at the bottom. It's like Beyonce to like the peasants. Like there's nothing we should have in common because we live in two different worlds. 
And maybe I shouldn't say, maybe relatability isn't the right word. I would say there's a human element to him because I remember, if I can just share the story. So the the leader that I'm talking about is also one of four or five leaders in a room who had to lay off like 25 to 50 people one day. And of the five leaders that were in that room with me and some of my peers, he was the one that did it so humanely. It was insane to me. And he gave me such an example on that day of how to connect with a person on a human level, even when you have to do something really, really terrible. He did it beautifully. And I've literally emailed him since like years since and just like gone back to that experience that day and said like that was arguably one of like the worst days of my life now i have much more perspective <laughs> but at the time it felt like the worst day of my life and probably for a good year two years after it and now i i, I yeah i just i never forget that moment but i think what you're saying with the relatability is almost like you can connect with them in some way even though there's like a big chasm between the two of you. Mm -hmm. What would you say are the communication traits of really great leaders you've admired? I think really clear and articulate. I think people who like pick a message and hold to it. Uh, I had four different leaders at one of my previous companies who all were kind of equal in leadership roles, but we always had one who would always come in and try and like fire everybody up. Mm. And it was always this like David and Goliath story that he tried to tell. And he literally would say like, we're David and the big companies, they're Goliath. Mm. We kind of listened to him. We were like, yeah, we don't really care. Like that's not mean anything to us. Like that's not the way to get us there. And then we had another leader who'd come up and say like, our only goal is to change the way the industry works and the way that the industry works within um, like chemicals in our products. Mm. And if we can change the um, restrictions around those and we can change what the big guys put in their products and they start to remove some of these chemicals that we know are harmful, mm. then we've succeeded. And to me, that's starting with why. So hate on Simon all you want, but you connected to that message on a belief level. It sounds like, like on a belief level, like, oh, this is just the right thing to do to have our mission be focused on removing terrible chemicals from the environment. For sure. And I think that's why that message, like that person's message resonates is because that was our goal as a company. And so when he's saying our only goal as a company is to do this on a macro scale, that's success for us. Then I look at it and go, yeah, you're right. It shouldn't be about us. Like we want to drive the bottom line because the further we drive our sales, the more impact we have in the industry and the more they have to see that there's a need for these things. Mm. But our goal shouldn't be that we exist in a hundred years. Our goal should be that these chemicals aren't used in 20 years. And mm. if we don't exist, but these chemicals are taken out of all the products, we've succeeded. We've had the impact on the world that we want to have. Yeah. But then I think about all the companies like, like the Toms of the world who can do the one-for-one one really easily. Mm -hmm. The Warby Parkers who can do one-for-one one really easily. Mm -hmm. And then every other company who tries to do one-for-one. One, and it's so hard to get that message across. Mm. Like my one, like um, Lauren Bush Lauren does feed. Yes. And it's like you buy a bag and it does some random amount of something for someone somewhere. <laughs> Right. And like the ads always say, like, if you buy this specific bag, like it does 150 meals or or there's like a water company where if you buy like their metal bottle or plastic bottle, like that helps them pay for a pump or something. I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I think it's so much harder when people are trying to come up with that very clear message 
because it's such a hard thing to articulate. That's where I struggle with Simon Sinek is saying, oh, it's super easy. Just come up with like a very basic thing like Apple, who is one of his only examples for all of his examples. And like just clearly articulate that one thing and make people like resonate with that. Disagree. Yes, I disagree in that I don't think he's saying this is easy. He and now I'm gonna have to listen to the TED talk again on my drive home. I don't think he's saying this is easy. I think he is saying this is really hard and really few and far between to find great leaders who do it. But the one thing that they all have in common is that they tend to start with why. Another example he gives in the TED talk is Martin Luther King. He's like Junior. Junior. He starts with why. In that even if you think about the I have a dream speech, like he's starting with like the belief element that people could relate and connect with. And he uses the example and he, I don't know who he was referring to, but he's like, there are people who had better ideas on how to manage the civil rights movement. But he was the one that rallied the people because he got to them on a why level of like why you should care about this. And that was another impactful example that was not Apple. So I don't, I disagree in that I don't think Simon is saying that this is easy. I think he's just trying to say, hey, I've conducted some research or done some sleuthing. If you guys could see Rami's face right now, it's priceless. He's very skeptical. (laughs) (laughs) And he has come to this simple concept, not necessarily simple to implement, but simple to understand why, how, what. For sure. I'm not disagreeing with that, but I think the problem is that most of his examples are either people who are naturally driven to just do it because they want to, right? The Wright brothers is a good example of, they just wanted to figure out how to do it. So they just tinkered with it until they figured it out. Yeah. And then his other examples are all very uh, either ultra charismatic or people that have like a cult of personality, right? So what? Like, what's the problem with that? I'm not saying that there's a problem with it. I'm just saying that like, That's for me, I can't just be like, okay, cool. I'm going to be either super determined to like be the first person to get my bicycle to fly (laughs) or I'm on the other side and I'm going to be ultra charismatic with my, my story because I don't know that I fit down either of those paths. Mm. So I don't know where I fit on those because I look at the examples and I go, yeah, I get, I get the process, the, the why, the how, the what, like that makes sense. But in his examples of success, and they have to be outliers, right? Like you, you only tell stories about outliers because they're the ones that are more interesting. Like if he went down and just picked a bunch of like dude analysts or lady analysts, like at their desks and like, here's why this Jill at her desk was super successful. Like here's how she used the golden circle to succeed. Like it wouldn't be interesting. As impactful. Yeah. As the extremist examples that he's finding for us. Yeah. But I look at those and I break them down to you found very either charismatic and driven people or just ultra driven people. And it. That happen to live within this premise that works. And you don't find that inspiring. Not really. Fascinating. I find it super inspiring. And I'm wondering, maybe this is too deep and I might make people cry across the conference room table, <laughs> but I wonder if you've ever been in a position where you've been deeply connected to a why. No, for sure. I think I think to to for me to want to invest all of my energy in a company, like I have to be invested in the why. Yeah. And I think if the company is not going to give me a why, then I build my own, right? When I worked at a humongous retailer, my why was 
how do I make it so that every person that comes in for whatever product it was that I sold, and for me it was tea, mm-hmm. how do I make sure that the tea that they want is always there? Okay, really? That's my why. I don't know. That was mo- But like, really, that was motivating for you? Yeah. It was also very exciting for me to see my shelves in stock. Mm. But some of us cared about what we did, I guess, and, and other of us didn't care about no, what we did. No, I didn't care if the twin betting sheets were in stock or not. That was the category that I ran. That wasn't my why. I don't know what my why was in that moment. My why was probably selfish at that moment, if I'm being honest. I remember the first company that I worked for, though, my why was it was an industrial sales job. I literally called in Department of Defense contractors. And my why, well, maybe at that level, it was con- connected to uh, breaking barriers for women, like just people thinking that women couldn't wear steel toe boots and a hard hat and deal with these big shots. Uh, so that was a why that motivated me. But also the why that I connected to on a company level was that they had a three to one matching program. So if I donated a dollar to charity, they would donate three dollars to whatever mm-hmm. charity I wanted to match. And that was like so cool to me. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember feeling really connected to a why at a company level or a, an, on a job basis when I worked at the place that we both work for. Well, I think that's what you either find it or you don't. And that's what drives you, right? I think for me, that's what it was because I remember going to the store and looking for something like regardless of if it was my aisle or not and not having it and being frustrated, right? And I don't, I didn't want to put anyone else through that. So my why was was trying to make it as, as frictionless as possible for people when they're looking for that thing. Now, if we don't have that thing, like I can't, I'll go yell at my buyer that it doesn't exist. But if it if it should be on the shelf and it's not, that's on me, right? What role or company, maybe you can't say the name of the company, would you say you were most connected to a why? I think, I think for us as employees, we either want to very much connect with the why mm. Or it doesn't matter. And there's a different why that has nothing to do with what the company's doing. Yeah. So I remember early on in my career, one of my friends went to work for a company that sells what he referred to as sugar water. They can it, they carbonate it, and everybody drinks it and everybody enjoys it. Yep. And he would always tell me, like, I cannot keep working for a company that sells sugar water. Yeah. And other people would look at it and say, no, it's just a cog. I just sell things. doesn't matter what it is. I just... I'm helping sell something Hmm. or I'm helping bottle something or I'm doing the forecasting for something Hmm. or the marketing, whatever it is. And I think ever since that moment, the thing that's always stuck with me is how do you make sure that if you're going to put in your 110% and you're going to use the gifts that you've been given to kind of move something around or, or, or help a company grow? How do you do that in a way that is something that you can believe in? How do you invest in the why and put your effort towards that? So I think, I don't know, it's something that I always think about and is really, really close to like my number one reason for doing anything. Um, But it's tough. I don't know. It's hard to make that decision when opportunities arise for different reasons in different avenues, right? Yeah. That didn't answer your question, but... No, you didn't, but I'll take it. The sugar water example was really interesting to think about, and it brings millennials into the conversation for me because I think that's another area where millennials get a mixed reputation is that people say millennials don't want to do it unless they're really connected to the why of the company. So I think there's more onus on companies than maybe there ever has before to make it it better be compelling because it's going to be tough for you to fill your open spots if it's not with the workforce as it is today. Yeah, and I think that's where they either make the business exciting or they make the office exciting 
or even the scope of what they get to work on is exciting, mm-hmm. right? Maybe it's not that they have kombucha on tap or that they have um, cold press in the fridge or there's a foosball table or I feel like when I was in college, everybody really wanted beer on tap, but I don't think I've ever seen that. Mm. Um, and back when our parents used to work, it always used to be whiskey in people's drawers, which I've always I've always aspired to have <laughs> a bottle of whiskey in one of my drawers. Hasn't happened yet, but I hope soon. Um, but I think it's what's the selling point? Because there's going to be, as in anything, a huge chunk of people who the millennials are going to push for the why, and that's where they want to be, and they'll do anything to kind of push that forward. And those are the companies that really can take advantage of millennials who are underpaid and overworked. Um, And then there's the other side of that where they want to move through their career. And so they'll work wherever it is to get the role that they want and, and move through that. And I've been guilty of it. And I've seen friends who are guilty of it. And I think it's how do you balance those two is really on you, right? Like if you can keep yourself motivated in a, in a company whose product or why you don't believe in, Mm -hmm good for you right and if you can't well great for you right like you just need to find what it is that's going to be the driving passion for you Mm. such an interesting discussion i'd love for each of us to reflect a little bit on how we've both led teams in the past yes so i'd love for each of us to reflect a little bit on how we did inspire action then if it wasn't through a why how what framework which of course i'm going to admit i didn't use the why how what framework you didn't day perfectly in every conversation you love this ted talk so much i mean i'm a fan i pass it along to people who are working on communication but i can't say that i remember to use it in every conversation at every time So I'm curious for both of us to reflect a little bit on what our communication approach was as a leader, but maybe some things that worked and some things that didn't work to inspire action in teams. I can go first. For me, I think what inspired action in my team the most or what I got the most feedback on was my ability to clearly communicate priorities. So I use the phrase a lot that I ruthlessly prioritize. And I remember in my second leadership position, I made what I called like the funnel and I broke out for them like the five biggest things that they should be spending their time on and just how much like from a dollar volume perspective that drove in our business. And I gave each of them a copy and I encouraged them to post it at their cube. And like, as you're going through your email or as you're checking things off, like look through it. And if you're not hitting one of these five buckets, tell me. Or ask the person who's leading this project to rethink whether or not we should be focusing on the project. It was a time in the company that we both worked for where there was a lot of testing going on. Let's do this 500 store test or not even a 500 store. Let's do this five store test. Mm -hmm. And we were failing at the basic blocking and tackling of execution in every day. So I think that was... um, a good moment for me to inspire action in my team because my team at the time was feeling overwhelmed and demotivated because there was so much being thrown at them. What's what's the story you got for us? I don't know. I think when I think about my leadership style, my biggest piece of feedback that I always got is that when I get really excited and energized about something, it's really easy for other people to get energized about it. Mm. And I think I've known that. And so I've always kind of used that. But I think for the same reason, I've always thought about like kind of that same golden circle mentality of the why, the how, and the what is like, we need to clearly articulate like what it is that we're trying to do, mm-hmm. when it is that we're trying to do it, and how we'll go about getting there. And 
what I've always liked is coming kind of with that framework and then saying the team, okay, like how do we now execute against that goal? Like knowing that this is the goal that we've been given, like how do we get there? Mm -hmm. And I think letting the team kind of pull through and decide kind of like the nuts and boltsy parts of it, once we know like the big pieces, I think has always given them a lot of ownership of feeling like there's a chance and they feel like they've kind of helped decide what we're doing, Mm -hmm. I think has been helpful for me as a leader to like let my team take on ownership and feel like they can help drive it and and push us through. Mm. I don't know. I think I just get too excited about things. Uh, You just said that that was a strength of yours, though. Yeah. That by getting excited, you easily inspire your teams to act. Oh, yeah. I was just waiting for you to say it back to me. (laughs) Thank you for the compliment. Box checked. Box checked. So how do we take this home? I mean, there's the obvious one. Start using the golden circle framework as you think about framing different communication conversations. For me, this was really impactful when I was in a role where I had to influence without authority. I was responsible for managing a season across many different partners, marketing, buying, etc. And had to be very concise on getting people's attention quickly with the why the heck should we care about this. So that's the easy, quick take home. What would yours be? And then I can add another one. I think for me, it's uh, just think about when you're going to art articulate that people will understand the entire story mm-hmm. right it's the if if you're going to tell people that they have a problem you have to really help them understand that they have a problem because 99% of the time people don't know that they have a problem mm-hmm. and then if you're going to give them a solution make sure that solution makes sense for the problem mm-hmm. and is within the realm of like actuality like i can't go to you and say hey your problem is that you're not good at tying your shoes so i'm going to make a robot that ties your shoes for you And also, I only work in Excel, so how any of this is going to work out, I have no idea. (laughs) I would just say, like, really focus on the the issue at hand and how you can really strip it down to its base and make it so that people understand. Yeah. The last thing that I would add is taking a minute to reflect on the leaders that you really admire and thinking about the traits that they possess and then doing some self-reflection of how can you do a better job of modeling those traits. I'm big on reflective practices. It's how things change. And with that, I think let's say we're done for now. Next week, we're going to talk about what I think is actually a much better approach to all of this, which is a book that I, I really like called Made to Stick. And it's about how you make ideas and um, thoughts more sticky. Uh, It may not be as easily remembered as the golden circle, uh, but I think it will be just as memorable. Why do I want my ideas to stick like honey? Like that's I'm just picturing like honey on my hands and sticking and like, how do I get it It's like stickiness to your brain. Like you remember them as opposed to circling them, (laughs) I guess. Down the drain. Yeah. The golden (laughs) toilet. And so with that, this has been Workplace Hugs. I've been Rami. And I've been Shannon. And I will say again that this has been Workplace Hugs. Thanks for listening. Mm